Welcome to Full Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here with Nicole Glenn, the owner of Candor Expedite. Nicole, how are you? Good. Good morning to you. Uh, likewise. Well, Nicole, tell us a little bit about what Candor Expedite is, uh, the story behind the business. Where? How did you start it? Where did you Where did you come from? Well, I've been in transportation since 2000, so feels like I was in freight when freight wasn't cool and uh, worked for a lot of brokerage companies. So I've worked at four or five different brokerages, um, got very involved with the truckload side of things as well as the expedited side of things. And in 2017, I decided that I was ready to jump on my own journey and start my own company. So company's a couple years old. What is it like going from an established business and really going out on your own? Ooh. Um, well, I mean, I was part of running a company before, so I was very familiar with doing all of the, the things that go behind with starting a company. But at the same time, too, it's a lonely journey when you're first starting. You know, you're you're used to having people to bounce ideas off of other executives, other leaders to talk with about things and decisions. And now you're an independent, you know, you're leading a team and they're all looking up to you for the answers and you got to start that journey strong and be a confident leader. So it was not a humongous transi transition, I could say for myself, but it was an impactful one for sure. Now, did it take you, was this a, a process of, did it build up over time? Uh, was it just you had an aha moment or what was that process like to say, hey, I'm going to go do this on my own and uh, go out and start this business? No, it wasn't an aha moment. I was basically always in the concept that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So even as a teenager, I used to drive my dad crazy. I'm like, hey, let's look into this franchise. Let's do this. Let's do that. So being an owner was something that I was really wanting to to be involved in. I mean, just leading people and doing all of that was very exciting for me. So no, it wasn't an aha moment, but there was a buildup of time, you know, where there was just dif different things that I wanted to explore. And I, I'm not a firm believer of red tape. So I like to do what my mind uh, comes up with and I'm a let's go type of person. So it kind of transitioned. I did work for somebody, um, actually my last employer. And then I was like, okay, I think it's time. I think I'm ready to make this transition. So I started up and you work like hell, you know, when you hit the ground running. So it was party of two and then start building the team. And we actually exploded pretty quickly um, just because I've had a lot of background and a lot of relationships in the industry. So it took off pretty quick. Now in freight, a lot of times when people are starting their own business, they already have uh, customer relationships that they uh, bring with them as they're launching their own business. Was that something also that you were had fostered long-term relationships with, with some of the customers that you're currently doing business with or initially helped you springboard into the, to the space? Some, I mean, it was, it was still limited. So it was a heavy focus on obtaining my own customers. So we really went after, you know, new accounts for us, but there were some, I mean, being an expedited service provider, we have a lot of relationships in the freight forwarding side of things. So a lot of those, 15 year plus relationships over time turned on. But really we started off with food and beverage, uh, new accounts and then had small accounts and then started building off of that. So not really a huge 
bulk of our business is from past relationships of current of those types of customers. But a lot of people transition. That's what's awesome about this industry. You never know where people are going to end up. So some of my longtime relationships went into different companies, did different things. And so it, it did springboard from that. Now you've got 14 employees today. You're a woman uh, founder, CEO uh, in a male-dominated industry, um, and and the team is is male-dominated. What is it like being a female CEO in uh, freight and logistics? I've uh, I've come to realize since I've been doing this for so long, I don't really notice the difference. So there's really no impact, I think, for the good or for the bad for me. But maybe I have my blinders on to it because I just get into work every day and just try to focus. Um, I mean, truly, I know a lot of people want to say that it's probably complicated or hard to be a female. I think it's the same as a male. So I think it's really what you want to do with that and what limitations you want to put on yourself. So I've been so used to being just surrounded around men. You know, I mean, my first job was in an office of three men, much older than me. So I've always been, now I'm starting to be the, the older one of the crew, which is a little weird, but it's never really impacted me, male or female, at all, you know, because it's just, it's been so long. I think if, you ha if you're in freight and logistics, you have to have thick skin regardless of oh, your, yeah. your, your, your background, your uh, gender, your uh, race, whatever. It, it takes thick skin because this industry is, you're only as good as your last transaction or last load or, or last uh, shipment. That's, you know, the effectiveness. So Canner is in the expedite industry. 2020 has been, an ind has been a, obviously, a year where expedite has played a uh, front row to all sorts of things that are happening. What is it your, what has the experience been like for you this year? Well, it was very strange, obviously, in March. We weren't sure what to expect. So we kind of predicted and kind of latched down and thought it was going to be the worst thing that we had seen, you know? So we were very conservative and then just buckled down and worked even harder, you know, staying in front of the customers. A lot of our clients uh, actually shifted their commodities. So being in, working with a lot of freight forwarders, you know, we saw a shift in commodity. We started handling a lot of COVID tests, a lot of uh, respiratory systems, masks, all sorts of things that supported that. We did watch some of our automotive customers just completely turn off. Um, and they're starting, some of them are starting to inch back towards more movement, but it was just a shift of, of types of commodity that we're shipping, but it ended up being great. You know, it was, it blew our uh, predictions away for the year from when we had forecasted before. And we've had a record record year and we've had record months con consistently throughout the entire process. So some of our white glove work, because we did a lot of events before, uh, trade show, uh, sporting events. So a lot of that's changed, but at the same time, other commodities have kicked in. And since we're a smaller company too, it's, it's really easy to, once you just even onboard another customer, it takes place of that. So we haven't seen any decline uh, as far as the numbers go, but we've seen some customers themselves actually decline. So, you had a shift in what has been the most, uh, where have you gained a lot of ground uh, this year versus years past? You talked about the events business and concert logistics going away, and I've heard this, uh, obviously, we know why, but where are you seeing increase in demand or new opportunities come about? 
Well, food and beverage is kicking off for sure. Um, we did a lot of IT. So we're doing a lot of server racks and people upgrading their technology systems. So we've seen that increase. Um, and again, just, just the supplies that were needed for, for actual COVID uh, saw an increase. But yeah, I mean, that, that's really where we've seen it, especially with freight forwarders too, because we have a lot of different commodities coming at us. So, I mean, the, the transition has just, we've watched our customers transition as well through that. So again, a lot of IT type of equipment. Um, I mean, you name it when it comes to food and beverage, that is just rocking and rolling, you know? Is it is it predominantly just because of the way the groceries have shifted? Is it, are you actually involved in moving food and beverage to people's homes or is it moving to distribution centers? Where are you seeing the impact? Uh, distribution centers too, you know, and it's educating some of these clients because one of the things that I've noticed being an expedited uh, provider is some of the large food and beverage companies are still utilizing tractor trailer for the one, two, sometimes 10 skid transition. So we've onboarded some customers and educated them in that space. So we've seen an increase just in our business for that type of work. A lot of distribution transfers, um, a lot of, you know, just short lead shipments that weren't expected that maybe had a, an issue with LTL. So we recover quite a bit lately from LTL lines uh, due to the just issues that they've had making service. Is it just because they're, they're complete, their networks are completely overran with demand and there's been a shift in, in uh, where that demand's coming from? Is that, is that what you're seeing from the LTL providers? Yeah, for us, I mean, when we're going in there, we do a tiny bit of LTL for some of our customers. It's not it's not the bulk of our business by any means, but um, even when we were running LTL, it was just days that would go by that they would not make the pickups. You know, they were just behind schedule or whatever was happening in the LTL world. But I mean, we've had several shipments even this past Friday that we would go in and recover from a different LTL line. It was stuck somewhere at a terminal and it's got to get to where it needs to be. So we would just go in there, recover it, and then just get it delivered to, to the final destination in a, in a hurry, hurry type standpoint. So Nicole, I, yesterday my wife and I ventured out. Uh, first time we'd been in a physical store other than a grocer or big box retailer since March. And I noticed I was walking, we walked through TJ Maxx and uh, their sister property, Home Goods, uh, and I just noticed there was the inventory was completely. It felt like a third of the store's inventory was gone, and stuff that we usually would see in the store, like a lot of kids' toys, baby toys. That's what that was the reason we we ventured out is they have a good you know line of venture toy uh, of toys that are there for babies. I didn't see hardly any of that. What is it? Is your a view on that, just inventories have been completely uh, changed and, and are, there's an inventory shortage in retail today? I do think that there's an inventory shortage. Obviously, there's a lot of overseas freight that is still being locked up and, and not shipped in a timely manner. I mean, I've heard clients now reserving complete planes, you know, and they're trying to almost create a partial system with with actual air freight so they're going i'll buy this entire plane so freight is getting air freighted in to the u.s to actually keep everything moving so i'm sure it is you know i, I mean all of these types of stores are domino effects on what's happening 
especially home goods, you know, that's the over overstock mm -hmm. uh, materials that, that are being produced. But also when you were in that store, was it crazy? Because when I go into that store and I've only done it, I think twice, it's insane inside those stores. So I think there's a weird balance going on where people are so excited to get out to these stores and buying, buying, buying like they haven't. My mom, I mean, when she was like, they opened TJ Maxx. I mean, it was the the rush to get to a store like that because I think we're all kind of craving normalcy. So there might be a hyper spend too, you know, where you, you're like, I haven't done this in a while. So it, all of that plays a huge domino effect in, in retail, you know, but I will say that a lot of our retail customers, they have not come back uh, to their full, but what we do is the white glove portion of that. So we're going in, bringing store fixtures in, getting that stuff set up. So that has been, you know, not, not as a, uh, prevalent business that we've been helping as of late. Yeah, actually, the store was not, did not feel crowded. Now, this was, you know, afternoon on a Sunday, 5 o'clock. So, you know, typically being in Chattanooga, Tennessee, a lot of folks are doing family activities or church or, 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 or whatnot. So uh, it wasn't, I didn't feel like the store was crowded. Now, they had, they had some requirements where they, you check in when you walk into the store and they count. Uh, the gentleman who was checking everybody that came in had an app that could tell how many people had walked through the door uh, and was keeping track of that, um, uh, of the folks that come through there. So I felt like they were certainly making an effort uh, to maintain a level of social distancing, but I didn't feel like uh, it was very crowded at all. Um, in fact, I, I was sort of underwhelmed by the, the, the amount of traffic uh, that was in the store and, and frankly, the amount of inventory. Yeah. And it could very well be that. I mean, like I said, a lot of freight. I mean, we've all seen and heard that really everyone's behind and it's been a huge crunch to get freight into the U.S. And I'm sure that has a huge impact on that. So, Nicole, what is it you're expecting for the rest of the year? I mean, this being October, we're talking about inventory peak is we're either in peak. If you listen to some folks will say that peak starting early and it could have started as early as October 1. Uh, other folks are saying uh, peak is going to be a Halloween event. Uh, traditionally, we think of peak as really Black Friday to, uh, you know, December 15th, 16th. What is your expectations for this year? Well, I still think we're going to continue on this path of capacity being an issue, you know, especially in the U.S. It's, it, it is just such a tight crunch across the country with, with units. So for a company like myself, I mean, I, I see that it's a, a continual climb for us. As far as everybody else, just with standard truckload, I still think that is going to be a very, very tight space. Um, I mean, I've been reading what Jason Miller, uh, a lot of different people from, from freight, freight Waves that are throwing out their concepts, and it's just a back and forth concept that you keep hearing. So I think there's still this unsure, you know, I think everybody is still kind of looking at what's happening today and going, okay, this is most likely going to continue at least through Q1 is my concept that we're going to still be uh, pedal to the metal through Q1. Yeah, we're certainly bullish. I think we've been one of the more bullish folks on the street. Uh, I think others have, have, have actually downplayed the, the impact of the V-shaped recovery. But when you look at all the data, 
whether it's just consumer spending and what they're spending money on, um, these are the things that move freight, and I think that's what we're seeing. So I think it's a combination of, uh, you know, a tight capacity market really related to labor activity and folks not entering the industry for the last two years, as well as just a backlog and driver availability, combined with the uh, consumer spending and share of wallet uh, that's really driving this market. And to your point, I think it could very well go into uh, all the way through the first quarter. I guess it's anybody's guess at this point what second quarter looks like. Yeah, and I think events are going to start kind of, you'll see them start coming about. And that will be another hit to the industry with capacity. I mean, if if concerts started taking place, even in smaller venues, I mean, that all that equipment has to move and trade shows. I mean, I know that there's a big uh, food and beverage show that happens in March every year, February, March, and they're planning to kick off. And you'll see on post a lot of people when they throw it out there, like, will you be attending events? A lot of people are saying yes. You know, I don't, I don't think people are going to carry this scared mentality that much longer. So I think events will start happening again. And then that could also lead to travel and hotel. So then we have to accommodate all of that type of transportation too, because there is missing inventory in some of these spots, you know, and with trade show kicking off, I mean, that's huge. That's a huge business that's been on a standstill. It takes a lot of, a lot of capacity goes to that. So I can imagine if things just stay on track like it is right now, and then we add to these things. I mean, it could get even a little bit more hectic out there. Yeah, it's something to watch. We we also, because you know, half our revenue last year was in-person events, we're watching to see what happens with in-person events. I don't think we'll be an early adopter or an early company to really produce in-person events simply because there's a lot of unknowns for us. It's also a big financial risk. And the issue is if you put, I think this is probably the biggest risk for event planners like ourselves is, is that if you commit to things far out and you're not able to either get the people to show up, the sponsors to participate, or there's some crisis where uh, you've done all this planning, spent all this money, and you have to cancel for whatever reason, it's, it's a huge financial burden for companies. And, and I think, uh, at least for us, we're not prepared to take those risks until we get a little bit more clarity and frankly see others uh, see how they do with it. So I, I, I agree with you in terms of events do drive a lot of activity and there is a desire to do them. There's a lot of businesses that depend upon them. Um, I also, as an event planner, look at it and say, I don't want to be the guinea pig here. I want to see how this works out uh, before I'm willing to take. And it's not just the, you know, putting on the event and you worry about safety of your staff, you worry about safety of your guests, but it's also a huge financial burden. Um, if, if you were to throw an event, you know, our production could be a million and a half dollars when we look at the total capital outlay for, for one of our events. And, you know, if you only get two hundred to $300,000 of revenue, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a massive loss and it's just not you, worth the risks. Do you think that uh, companies even like yourself would do a, like a mix where it's a smaller hosted event streaming live? So you do have that, that concept of still creating the event, but then also bringing in more outside people that are not comfortable with actually being in, in the actual event for safety. Is that something we, that you see? We've always had, we've always streamed our content um, at the event. So for us, it's not really a, a huge leap 
Uh, and certainly we have the infrastructure with video to do it with stream video like what, what we're doing here today. The challenge is that uh, you still have a substantial production, so you could certainly downsize it, but because we spend a lot of money on the actual production quality, uh, you know, the, the audio-visual, there's a significant upfront expense, and then we'll also uh, spend quite a bit of money on uh, bringing in speakers and, and you know, the food. There's a, it's a, a lot goes into this, and at some point, you can't, if you want to maintain a level of quality, you can't go below it. I think for us, we want to maintain that level, we want to maintain the levels of standard for quality because we don't want to dilute that. And I think that's the reason we're, we're going to be a late adopter in terms of, of doing in-person. For us, the financial risks uh, are real, uh, as well as just the comfort of having to do it. It's not, you know, the challenge is also, is we have to send our employees there. So it's, I have to be concerned about financial risks on one side. Second is the safety and health of the employees and, and our staff. Um, the third is what about the guest uh, health? And I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things to consider. Um, I think we're fortunate in the sense that our revenue is very diversified today, much more so than it was last year. In fact, our video streaming platform is bigger in revenue than what our entire in-person events were last year. And it's really started since COVID, since March. And so I think we've been fortunate. Um, I do know a lot of associations and publishers and media brands where events, that not habit events was a huge hole in their P&L. And they, for whatever reason, didn't uh, make the transition to virtual fast enough um, uh, or effective enough to be able to, to to survive that or, or thrive in that. And so, but for us, I think we're in a wait and see uh, environment. Um, the other question is, and McKinsey published a survey a, a couple of weeks ago that they did with a firm called Skiff, where they actually talked about in-person events. And when they asked people about travel budgets and traveling, in-person events they viewed, at least McKinsey viewed, would be the last thing to come back, is that they thought that you know consumer travel, personal vacations would be the first, that people would be more apt to do it. Entertainment, sporting events, and concerts would come back faster than business events. Business events would be the last, for the very reasons that I've talked about, is that companies that are putting them on are not comfortable with both the financial and human risks that you end up taking. Yeah, and I think there is an, un an unsurety with it, too. I mean, even for myself now, even with growing accounts and going to actually see just a customer, you don't know who's going to be in office anymore, truly. And it could be a, a team of people and four might be there. One's not, you know, four are not there, one's in. So it's really in until we get that feeling of really where the working world is going to. I think that plays an impact on it as well. But I do, I do uh, value your viewpoints on the events because that does affect my business. So even hearing that from you is appreciated because it's something that I've actually been kind of waving the flag, looking forward to, to actually attending myself, but then also obviously trying to haul that business. So thank you for the insight. Yeah, I mean, this is just my my opinion on it. Um, it's something that we've talked about quite a bit, and we're looking at. I mean, obviously, events are have been an important part of our P and L, uh, but we basically, at least my personal view, is that uh, for us, it would be second half of next year at the earliest before we uh, would consider going in person, and it, we would have to see that a number of uh, companies have done it and done it successfully. Uh, and those events have gone well before I think we're prepared to do it. And frankly, 
I think testing and a rigorous testing uh, where you can do it on the spot probably makes me feel a lot more comfortable than even if others do it successfully trying to follow in their lead. But lots to, you know, lots to consider. Um, and I know that everyone is apt to want to get back to nor some level of normalcy, but I don't know when it's going to be personally. Now, Nicole, one thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap up is you moved your business your, uh, from Illinois to Texas. You're, you're located in personally in Plano, Texas. What drove that decision? Well, we actually still are. We have a location in Chicago still, so up in Joliet. Um, but I, I wanted to actually venture into the asset-based side, and it was challenging to do that with insurance uh, regulations as a new entity. In Chicago, you're stuck with one provider. Uh, Progressive is the only insurance provider that will work with a brand-new MC on the asset-based side. So wanted to get down here and take on that opportunity to – to start an asset-based side. I do tell everybody it's the one thing that I'm very excited that I was a procrastinator on because uh, I got down here in October and there was a lull, you know, of business and that could have been our first, say, three months of business. Um, it could have been very hard for us. So we're excited to get that, get that piece up and going the beginning of this next year officially, um, as well as the tax. There's great tax benefits of being down in Texas, you know, so it affects our company. Eventually, our corporate headquarters will be down here, um, and and Joliet will become a sales office. But um, that, as well as customers, I mean, this is a very booming town. You know, very booming area. When you drive around it, it just it's major facilities all over the place. I mean, Toyota relocated down here. I know it's not happening, but there was talks of Tesla going. Eh, I'm out of here, California. So. There's companies and activity that is, is being driven down to the Texas area. So it's just an appealing place to be. And I can't complain about the weather. No, I'm listening. for sure. <laughs> I'm listening to my poor people up in Illinois. And I'm like, I'm so, I don't even want to brag. I'm like, you guys, it's 76 and I'm chilly. They're like, stop talking. Now, so Nicole, did you experience August in Texas? I loved it. Okay, and I think, it's, I think it's because of the fact that in my mind, I went, Okay, normally August is the wrap up in Chicago and in Dallas, it's like it's hot as hell, but you know that you still have September and October and part of November to be happy. So yeah. I can't You'll, complain. And then, of course, they love their air conditions and their cars and, and the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. So you're yeah. really not spending a ton of time outside. But when I lived in Texas, when I lived in Dallas, it was the only place I've ever heard it's too hot to swim, which in mid August is what people would say is they just didn't even want to go swimming because you just you didn't want to leave your house frankly well and your pool turns into a little hot tub itself you know because it it's not, not if it's not deep enough it's literally bath water so you're 105 degrees outside and you're swimming in 100 degree water water it's not enjoyable but when i when i lived in flower mound i had a dark bottom pool it was like a black quartz uh, oh. uh pool and it and yeah. it would get very hot, like you described, even more so than a typical pool. And it would, I, I had a problem with algae, as I could shock it and put all sorts of uh, killer algae killer. And the next day, it would be green again because that that black bottom uh, was not the person that did that to the house before I bought it. When I ended up buying it, I didn't realize that. So. Um, but but anyways, well, Nicole, really appreciate you coming on today and talking about what's happening. Expedite bold prediction for the next five years. What 
what would you say would be unexpected about the next five years that you would like to say right here is your expectation? Big, bold call. Ooh, next five years. Well, I mean, I think that everything's going to be on the up and up for the next five years. I do. I see us taking off uh, in regards to an economy. And, and I feel like transportation is going to be leading that sector in regards to capacity being an issue. So I'm interested, interested to see what happens in the tech space in the next five years, too. You know, what's going to happen with autonomous trucking? Are we going to be stepping closer to that? So I, I think the next five years is going to be a great place to be in, in the free world. And now, Nicole, speaking of autonomous trucking, does Elon Musk move the Tesla headquarters to Texas? Ooh. Yes, he's going to get tired of California. He's <laughs> I think he's already tired of California. He, he did open his new, his new truck plant down in uh, Austin. So he's got one foot in the state. In fact, one of our VC funds uh, that was based in the Bay, uh, the partners have actually moved to Austin. And I'm hearing a lot of VCs that are moving to Austin. One thing to watch is what happens to Illinois and Chicago. I mean, there's this conversation about so much freight and logistics is based in Chicago, and I think rightfully so, but I know a lot of people that are have either left the Chicago Metroplex that are in this industry or are thinking about leaving uh, for other cities. Uh, are, I mean, you've done it or, or in the process of doing it. Do you think this is going to be a trend? I do, and I think it depends on what happens with the government in Illinois. I mean, it's just starting to be ridiculous with some of the things that are transpiring. So trying to get cheaper work uh, employees, you know, it's very expensive to run a brokerage in downtown Chicago. So companies are starting to venture out to different, different places. Real estate is very expensive down there. Taxes are insane, you know. So I know for myself, that was a very uh, appealing thought of selling my home and starting over in a new place because I just didn't know what was going to happen uh, really with taxes and everything on the on the up and up in Illinois. So I've heard, too, it's a mass exodus out of Illinois. A lot of people are leaving the state. So, Well, Nicole, best of luck in Texas. Enjoy the uh, mild winter, uh, which you will, will get to experience, uh, and great football. Texas is a great football state, and where you're at is right in the center of it. So, Nicole, uh, thank you so much for coming on Fuller Speed Ahead. If you're interested in this show uh, and others a part of the Freightways TV network, you can get this content not only online, but you can also get it on Apple TV and Roku devices to stream directly to your TV. So it's a great way to catch up on episodes that you may have missed or perhaps that you want to dive into deeper. So uh, be sure to download the Freightways TV app on Apple devices, on Android devices, and on Apple TV and Roku devices. Thank you, Nicole, for coming on. Thank you, Craig. Have a great day.